Rosalie here. I am the little helper of the Live Feisty Media Podcasts. The Iron Women Podcast, I think, is one of the best podcasts in the whole entire world. I want to be a professional triathlete when I grow up because it makes us healthy and strong to do lots of triathlon. I also think I might want to be a hairdresser. Just saying. You can help our women grow by using the codes IRONWOMEN when you order from our sponsors. It really helps. Those sponsors are Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Sound Probiotics, Coffee Method, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. Go to ironwomenpodcast.com to find all codes and links. And now introducing your hosts, Alyssa Kadeski and Haley Chura. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're back with me this week. On I Iron am. Women. I'm back on the podcast, back in the United States, and back in the Northern Hemisphere, enjoying the wonderful weather and long days here. It is a great time to be in Montana. That's so awesome. And so tell me, what has life been like since you stepped back off the plane in North America? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So... I mean, I love, I love racing in Brazil. I had super easy travel back actually. And, um, just all my flights went super smooth. And so mostly since then I've been doing a lot of like very easy workouts and just getting the blood flowing. I think I actually did a really good job of keeping myself moving after the race. Um, even like the days after the water was like glass the day after the race, it was so beautiful. And I actually went for an easy swim and, um, because of those, you know, doing that in those days after the race, when all you want to do is sit around and do nothing and eat, but I got myself to spin easy on the bike. I got myself to go for some easy swims and it made my recovery so much better. And, um, and then just tons of sleep. So all the hydration, all the sleep, all the good food, and I'm feeling pretty good. So, um, I actually got out for a pretty cool ride this past weekend and I rode out the Beartooth Highway, which is one of my favorite rides in the entire world. And um, we have had record snow in Montana this year. And so the road actually just opened. It opened on Saturday and I rode it on Sunday. So it was it was nuts. I've never seen snow that high at the top. Like, I swear the snow must have been more than 20 feet high. I posted a picture on my Instagram that this this woman was taking pictures and I actually stopped and was like, Hey, can you send me one of those? And, um, she did. So, uh, so there's how, yeah, my, uh, my professional photography, how it goes. I literally just asked strangers to take pictures of me and send them to me, but I've never seen anything like that. It was a once in a lifetime kind of ride. And, um, I'd encourage anyone in the Montana area, if you're around here, go check out Beartooth highway. Cause it is spectacular and it's a climb, but the grade is, is fairly mellow. I'd probably say it's like four or 5% most of the way. So it's, it's not crazy hard. Just, you know, take enough water, take some snacks, take some warm clothes for the top and for the descent. And, 
um, you know, have a great ride. And Alyssa, I've never seen so many skiers up there. There were so many people skiing. It was crazy. And it is scary skiing. Like I have, I have no idea where these people come from and who they are, but they're crazy. <laughs> that is not up my alley. I did see your picture and I was like, I had to like stare at it for, I was like, is this like a throwback Thursday? Like what day is it? Where is she getting this from? Where is she? What's going on? Yeah, no, that's always on June 3rd. <laughs> and, um, so but no one needs to be in a rush because I'm pretty sure we'll still be there in August. Um, so you don't need to rush up here, you know, take your time, book your tickets, drive up here, but it is, it's a spectacular ride. I do have to say, Haley, though, you talked about those like shakeout workouts after your Ironman and you have to be careful because that's the secret. And so next thing you know, you're going to be like, I could probably do one seven days later. Like, you know, let's just give this a shot. <laughs> oh man, Alyssa, I have so much respect for you and your ability to do races back to back. It's the marathon. And also just don't you get like emotionally tired? I think that must be something you must like go into the first one, knowing you have the second one, because I think the mental and emotional part, like Ironman is so emotional, right? And, and it's such a long day and you're putting so much into it. So I think that recovery is also really hard. It is. You definitely see the them both, even if it's two weeks apart, even if it's really three weeks apart, that's pretty close, you know, and you just, you kind of take them as a package deal, I think, because you're right. It's that if, as soon as you let yourself mentally take that, like, ah, oh, like breathe moment of just like the stress, the emotions, everything, you know, then you've already checked out of the next one. So you don't really get to do that until after, after the second one. So that that's a good point. Yeah. Maybe someday I won't say never, but, um, not this year. <laughs> And so other pictures I saw though, Haley, you looked amazing in Brazil. So tell us more about your matching bike. Was it everything you hoped and dreamed with your kit? Everything was looking good. Oh my goodness, Alyssa, I will give myself the best dressed award at Ironman Brazil by far. Um, if they gave Kona slots for being just looking good, I definitely would have gotten one. <laughs> now I, uh, my smash fest queen kit was I thought it looked amazing. Um, I did, I was lucky enough to get a couple of professional photographers who actually took some pictures and, um, found them online. And I posted a couple that were, um, on my own Instagram account that I saw. And, and I mean, I got, it was nice that people took some really good pictures, but it's a photogenic outfit. So thank you smash Fest queen for making my green and yellow and pink, um, kit that stood out a lot. I think I was very visible on site and, um, my green and yellow Quintana bike. And it was, it was great. I mean, I'm very thankful for my sponsors this year that helped me definitely look the part I've never felt more pro. So, um, and be, I was very visible, which is always important to me for safety and for, you know, and for getting spotted. Yes. Yeah, so thanks to smash. They've been supporting the podcast too. And I know they have some fun things coming out this summer. So, we will continue to keep an eye on that. But um, Haley, love just to see you outfitted and looking good. Thank you. And Alyssa, I have heard we have some mailbag questions this week. We do. So thanks to everyone who's been writing in. We have, you know, and if you ever write in and we don't answer it, it's because we are saving it for something or we have it like in a, in a next week pile or something like that because we think it'll fit better somewhere else. So never panic. Keep sending in your questions, please. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we are going to just jump right into them. So the first one we got was from Megan. And she says that she's pretty new to triathlon in general. And so actually, I love this. Besides her training, everything she knows about the triathlon world is 
the Iron Women podcast and the If We Were Writing podcast. So that's like an amazing place to have your triathlon knowledge base be. So Megan, I salute you for that. Um, and she, I'm so glad she found us. <laughs> no, right? We're doing yes. something right. So yes. she listened last week and she has some questions about 5Q and 50 Women Tacona and about how a new recreational triathlete could support the 50 Women Tacona movement. And basically, she just wants us to explain it further, um, which is a good point because Haley, we haven't, we've kind of mentioned it a lot and I mentioned it with Catherine a lot last week. And so, but we didn't really dive into it and we haven't in a while. Um, that said, I think the best place to send our listeners who are interested and kind of confused maybe about we, what we were referring to. Um, well, first I'll back up, but 50 Women Tacona is a movement that got started in triathlon about inequality in the professional ranks was kind of the main point of that. And it started because there were 50 men who were qualifying for Kona as professionals and only 35 women were being qualified, were qualifying as, um, professionals to go race in Kona. So we kind of called that out and it became this movement and we hit a lot of roadblocks in over the years that we kind of fought this battle, um, and are still fighting this battle. The most current thing that we have going on with it is that Ironman has changed the qualification system for professionals going to Kona for 2019. So it's no longer directly 50 versus 35, right? Instead, they kind of made it this proportionally based system that has a mechanism where if we get more pro women on the starting lines, we will eventually be getting equal spots. Um, however, you know, for people who have studied kind of gender inequality in history and realize that, you know, that's a, that's great because we can change it eventually, but that's not great because it's not equal now and we would love it to be equal now. And we think that's important. So the background to 50 women to Kona though is on the tryequal.org website. And if you go there and you go to resources and then 50 women to Kona, there's a lot of information there that can get you started and definitely keep writing in with questions. If you have specific things you're wondering after that, um, and in terms of supporting it now, you are doing it by listening to this podcast, right, Haley? Yes, I think, I mean, exactly. The whole, the whole way that you exist as a professional triathlete is kind of in this realm of, of exposure, right? You want to bring attention to the sport. You want to bring attention to your sponsors. And by following pro women, by listening to their stories on this podcast, by following them on Instagram, by following them on Twitter, by cheering for them at races, you are sending a message to Ironman saying, Hey, I care about these women. I am a consumer and I care. I want to see these women on this race course. And that sends a message. Like I said to Ironman, it sends a message to brands that they should sponsor these women, that what they're doing is incredible and that you care. So you are doing that. So thank you for listening and please continue to keep listening and keep supporting the women in this sport, because I think if this podcast hasn't shown it, there's some really outstanding stories out there. And I mean, they're incredible women and, um, definitely worth cheering for. And we want to see, you know, we want to see what women can do in this sport and by getting more women on those start lines, by getting equal opportunity in Kona, I think that's how we're going to get there. So thanks to Megan and thank you to everyone for listening and supporting us. Yes, it's a it's a cause near and dear to our hearts. So thank you for asking the questions and please keep them coming in about 5Q if you have them. 
um, our next mailbag, Haley. So Haley, while you were out and I had to fill the airtime on my own, I took the time to tell our listeners about my next big adventure um, that's happening in Vermont this summer. And so we did get some mailbag questions about that from Taryn. And so she, um, I guess first, she's definitely read Jennifer Farr Davis's new book, um, which is about Jennifer Farr Davis held the FKT um, record for the Appalachian Trail for quite some time. And she had the overall record, men and female and female. Um, And she wrote a book recently that's great. It's called The Pursuit of Endurance. And that's what it is, right? Yes, I believe it is. Okay, I'm not getting my titles crossed. I just bought it, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And so Taryn has definitely read that. And she was wondering if I have contacted the current record holder for the Vermont Long Trail because Jennifer does point out in her book that one of the very few rules that exist in this kind of made-up world of fastest known times is that um, the courtesy of kind of giving a heads up to the current record holder that, hey, I'm going to go after this, actually. <laughs> um, and so, to, Taryn, to answer your question, I do, I definitely will plan on it, um, and I definitely will. But at this point, I decided it was a little too early to contact them and give them a heads up, um, just because... You know, I have a lot going on as I'm getting myself prepared and settled and I just want to feel like I'm in a space mentally where like it's, you know, it's happening, my training's happened and this is like, this is a go, you know. So um, just personally, I'm I'm going to let her know, I guess, when I feel like the time is right. Um, Fun fact is that it's Nikki Kimball who actually lives in Bozeman with Haley. So maybe I'll just have Haley like... You know, like we let's can go knock on our door. Sort of, I'll be like, "Hey, yeah. we I'll can do just, it live maybe, on the podcast." You should do it live on the podcast. That's not a bad idea. I could, uh, I could see if Nikki was up for that. I'll I go for a run. A maybe I could go for a run with her, and then I'll be like, "Oh, by the way, here's the microphone. <laughs> this is what's happening." Uh, no, but I do. I to that point, I think um, you know, while there are very few rules in FKTing, I think you respect the ones that are, and I think you really respect. I mean, I was just getting into ultra running and Nikki was like the one of, you know, she still is one of the top three female runners I can think of, um, in ultra running. And I totally respect what she's done. And so it, it's going to be like a moment for me as I let her know. So I'm going to take also, that kind of, I think we should give our listeners a little context. I mean, Nikki, the woman who holds this record, Nikki Kimball, she won Western States, I believe twice. And when she set this long trail record, they made a movie about it. And I think you can find it on Amazon prime. So yeah, it's a big it's deal. Like this yep. is a big record and it's a really cool that you're going after it, I think. So, um, this is, you know, you can call it a made up world, but I think it's a very real world for a lot of people, you know, and I think it's, it's important and it's big and it's a huge goal and it's a big thing. So I'm excited for you. And Taryn has some other questions, Haley. So she wants to know about the mud in Vermont. So if you start looking into trail running in Vermont, you see that um, it's called mud season actually here in April and May. And you're really not allowed on the long trail during those months at all, just because the snow is melting. It's way too poor for the environment to have all these people hiking and like their tracks and then they you know get so muddy you kind of go a little bit into the woods and then before you know it everything's eroding and you're losing these like resources that we have right so mud season is a real thing um and because of that yes I absolutely looked to kind of keep that in mind when I picked a date 
Um, I am looking at kind of more in that end of July, August time frame for mine. Um, I think I have it starting to narrow in, um, but I'll keep you guys posted as I continue to get that firmed up. But um, it won't be it won't be too long from now. I'll tell you that much. Um, and then she's wondering about how to handle sleep deprivation. And this is a great question too, because I really don't know. And my biggest experience with sleep deprivation, I think was at the Naval Academy because you didn't get to sleep a lot. And so I was surviving on like four hours of sleep, maybe five hours of sleep for a couple years there. And then I guess when I went to UVA and I had kind of a quote, normal college experience, I certainly was sleeping more there. Um, But then as I graduated from college, started working a real job, started training for triathlon, was also doing ultras. And like, I was still living, you know, a fun life in Baltimore with friends. I wasn't sleeping a lot then. And as I got more serious with triathlon, I was not sleeping nearly enough, which is one of the catalysts that prompted me to realize I had to leave my day job to pursue triathlon full time. Um, And so because of that, I feel like I handle sleep deprivation pretty well. But that said, I am building into my projected kind of plan here sleep because I think it's super dangerous to be out in the woods um, without at least a base of a little bit of sleep. But so I'm going to use that like four hour minimum, hard minimum um, as my my sleep necessity, I guess, as I'm doing this. So um, unless something, you know, unless I prove myself to be totally superhuman out there, that's that's what I'll stick to. <laughs> that is so such a good question, because that is I think that would be my biggest worry on a lot of things, even just, you know, not just, but a hundred miler. I wonder, you know, how people do that when you watch the sun go down and how that affects you psychologically. But I guess we'll just have to hear back from you when you do that multiple days in a row. Yeah. I ran the hurt 100 Haley and I was vastly underprepared for this race, which is known to be quite long anyway in the grand scheme of hundred milers. But I ran in 31 hours and, um, this is in Hawaii, right? This is in Hawaii. Yeah. In, in Oahu. Oahu. Yeah. Uh, right. And so 31 hours. I've run on those I, trails. You know, They're horrible. Wonder, There's like yeah. roots. Talk about roots and mud. But anyway, go ahead. You would wonder if I was, you know, last place, but I actually was in the top 10 with that finishing time and I was the second woman. So it was, you know, that was actually a really good time there. And it was weird as the sun goes down, you definitely hit a lull at some point, but then when the sun comes up, you actually get kind of a second wind, your body is totally adjusted to like that daylight sense and kind of wakes back up at least for a little bit. And so I have thought a little bit about would I, you know, gain from using that to my advantage by continuing to kind of push sleep till basically when I'm tired and letting my body have those second wins as they come. But I think some of that I'm just going to have to figure out as I go, to be honest, there's, there's no practice. I don't have enough time to try and do like a trial run. So, um, we're just going to have to see how it goes. And then Haley, her last question is how many people are on my crew? And so I have, I'll have seven main people um, on the crew. And that's, you know, it's more than I thought I would have, I guess. But it's also less than I thought I would have in some sense. And I'm, I'm expecting some other people to kind of come in and out. So at any given time, that group could kind of shrink or grow. But I feel really good about the, the seven core people at this point. And I think it's going to be just what I need motivationally and kind of physically, because they're going to be doing a lot of work out there with me too. Um, but yeah, so thanks Taryn for those questions. And, um, hopefully I can keep everyone up to date week by week here as we go this summer. Yes. Such a cool, such a cool project. And I admire you a lot for it. 
And also, I think I, I referenced the movie. I believe it's called Finding Traction. Is that right? If people want to go look and get excited, get pumped for Alyssa. And um, it's it's a gnarly trail. So I'm I'm excited to, you know, follow your progress in, into the record attempt and and as you are um, actually doing it. So I think it's cool. Very cool. But um, speaking of... So she yeah. goes back to triathlon, I guess, right? So I guess this is Iron Woman podcast, so we can talk a little bit about some racing. Um, did you spend any of your time kind of back with a little bit more time on your hands at training following any of the races? I did because I had some of my athletes racing this past weekend. So, of course, I ended up watching the pro women's race as well. And in the U.S., or well, I guess U.S. and Canada, we had – Ironman 70.3 Raleigh, Meredith Kessler winning. I mean, she's been on this racing streak lately and just seems to get better each race and finally found that tape. It's always been her style and I love it. Yeah. So Meredith Kessler wins her first week, her first race back from, or since maternity leave, her like fourth race in last month. But um, Heather Jackson was second and Stephanie Waugh, Canadian, was third there. Um, and then up in Victoria, Canada, we had our live feisty team of Sarah and Ashley doing a lot of interviews up there. Did you catch any of those interviews or the race action? I did. So they actually have a, on their Facebook page, there is an interview with Rachel and, um, Rachel ended up taking the win there and then followed by Jen Annett, who was, has been on the Iron Women podcast and shared her story there. It's a great story. And then Jen Spielden, Spieldener. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, Spiel Denner. I think you got that right. And we also had Rachel McBride just a couple weeks ago when you were out. Steph Corker and I interviewed Rachel um, after Ironman South Africa. So she takes the win in Victoria. I believe next for her will be, I think, Frankfurt, maybe. So, um, or Tremblant 70.3. So I think she's she's obviously in a good spot, but um, really great racing up in Canada. And then Challenge had their Challenge Championships. And I have to say, this is one race I, you know, I there's not a lot of 70.3s on my bucket list, I'll tell you that much. But this is definitely on there. This place looks awesome. Um, and we watched Lucy Charles take um, a pretty good win over there with Ann Hogg in second and Rodka... You're going to have to help me out here again. But it's Kovac. Yeah, Caulfield. Um, and she's been racing a lot. So we're certainly in the thick of racing season, I guess, is like the theme of it, huh? These women are getting after it. I know. And I think that was a pretty big, Lucy won that race last year. And I think it was kind of a breakthrough race for her. And then to win this year and to beat Anne, who has been on fire, you know, running 114s in Dubai, it's very interesting. I mean, I think when Anne and Lucy raced last year, obviously Lucy was prepping for Kona, but Anne beat her by like eight minutes at like Ironman 70.3, maybe like Prague or something, or I can't remember which race it was, but it was an incredible race. I mean, that's, that's exciting. I don't know if Lucy is doing 70.3 worlds, but that could be a very interesting showdown. I think they were, you know, only a minute apart. Um, and you know, you just start to think that someone like is, unbeatable you know you see Ann winning all these races and you're like wow she's just in another league and then suddenly Lucy's up with her and it's like whoa and um there's two of them so it's cool it's cool to see that and um awesome racing and I I think they do a great job at that over in Samarin um Slovakia is that right is that Mm -hmm. where that race is yeah kind of cool and so we have some other races coming up this weekend one of which is Ironman Boulder and that is who our guest this week uh Katie Blakemore is racing Ironman Boulder 
Yes. And Katie and I go way back. Um, I went to high school in Colorado and she did as well. And we raced in swimming, we raced in cross country and track. And, um, then we both were collegiate swimmers. So I've known Katie for a long time. She's so much energy, such great, you know, great positive, um, vibe about her. And she uh, has raced pro for a while, I think since probably 2013 and had some great results. I believe she was second at Ironman Lake Placid. And, um, just in recent years, she had her first child. And so she's kind of in that group of women who are coming back from maternity leave, who are sort of, you know, navigating this new space of professional triathlon as a mom. And it's cool to see her on the start line and I'll be rooting for her in Boulder this weekend. Well, let's hear our chat with Katie. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks for having me on guys. And Katie, I believe you are in Boulder, Colorado right now, which happens to be both your hometown and where you are racing this weekend at Ironman Boulder. How exciting is that? It's amazing. I love hometown races. Um, I'm definitely a social person. And so I feed a lot off of the energy that you get from racing with a bunch of people that you know, because obviously a lot of people that I train with or um, just like see around are going to be racing. And then also I'm trying to motivate my non-triathlete friends to come out and support. So we'll see how well that goes, but yeah, I'm, I'm really fired up and excited to be at a hometown race. And Katie, I saw that this year Boulder has some like, like course changes from previous years. So can you talk our listeners through kind of any, has there been any changes that would require maybe tips from you or anything? Like, can you give us the inside scoop on the new course? Sure. You might have a comparison, I suppose, because you've done it before. I've never done the race before, but, um, the swim is the same, which is great. It's a wonderful swim because you never go east. And that's nice in the morning because you can actually see where you're going. Um, and the bike, we'll see. I think it's going to be great. You have about 10 miles to kind of just get into the race. They're fairly flat. Um, kind of get on top of your nutrition and hydration after the swim along the, if you're from here, you call it the diagonal. I think seeing on Facebook posts, people call it 119. Um, but along the diagonal. And then you just head into some really nice um, kind of up and down sections of the course. Nothing's really too bad. But I think luckily on the bike, um, you have some places where you'll get to get out of the saddle, which I always find nice in a 112 mile race, you can get really stuck in the same position. So having opportunities where you don't feel like you're cheating your aerodynamics by standing up because you're going to be forced to stand up at some point along Neva, along St. Brain, and also along Hygiene Road. Um, but also those are sections where potentially you can burn a match too many by accident and have a little bit of a downhill section afterwards to kind of catch your breath and get back on it if you have overdone it by accident. So that's kind of the next third of the course, um, just sort of winding your way between 63rd and 36. And then um, you come back along Highway 66, past the place I got married, which is exciting. Everyone, if you see Yaya's Farm and Orchard, you can be filled with positive thoughts of love. And then you head all the way back down 75th. That's a pretty fast section. Um, the first time that I did Boulder 70.3, 
Andy Potts and all the pro men lapped me right there. I was racing as an age grouper, so they had a little head start. They were also going way faster than I was, but I was like, I'm riding with the pro men. So that's my happy spot through there. Um, and yeah, from there, you're going to loop again through those sections. I sort of feel like it's this like flat, keep your head down, let's go, some rollers to get out. Um, and then a quick thing back to the res. So we'll see again, having not done the prior course, it'll be interesting to see how the times come out, but Boulder tends to be a fast bike course usually. Um, if anything, it's a course that people tend, I think, to overbike potentially. Um, and then we have a fairly new run because you get to transition at the res, um, which will be nice. I think transition will be um, a little shorter potentially and a little bit easier to manage having just that one spot for T1 and T2. Um, but heading out, you have a couple reasonably sized hills right as you start so I think it's going to be important not to be too fired up about starting the run for those first couple miles and then kind of a false flat as you're heading slightly west but then from four to eight I'm hoping they feel as downhill as they look on the elevation map um kind of cutting back and that's sort of just like on the bike that how that's going to be how it plays out you kind of are running slightly uphill west and slightly down east. I think um, with the new course, it's nice sort of, again, separate sections. One of my favorite run courses, even though it's theoretically pretty boring, is Arizona because you never really have to go more than about two miles before something to look forward to, a turnaround, a bridge, whatever. And I'm I'm thinking the Boulder course is going to run that way as well. Um Alyssa, you'll have to let me know that uh, bike path, it looks like it just kind of gets hot and miserable by the end because there's been carnage in the past years along that run. Um, so I'm kind of mentally picking out some positive spots to look forward to and get my head back in the game when we're all suffering the like joyful misery of an Ironman out there. Um, yeah, so we're, we'll kind of see how it goes. Well, it sounds like you're very prepared and you have your positive thoughts of love locations all set out. Right. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's definitely, you have to have those things to look forward to. Um, I do want to take a little bit of a step back because there's so much talk right now in the world of triathlon about women coming back from maternity leave and your son yeah. Kit is a little over a year old, I believe now, right? Yeah. yeah. So He's about 14 months. Ben, that transition, you were, you raced pro before you had some great results. You were, you know, on the podium in Ironman races. And what is it like returning to Ironman? This will be your second Ironman after the yes. birth of your son. So what's it like? Um, that's a, yeah, it's a great question. Interestingly, in some ways for me anyway, the physical piece is exactly the same. I didn't feel different on my bike or my run form. I know some people feel like their hips have shifted um, after childbirth or pregnancy um, as their body changes. And for me, physically, everything has felt pretty much the same. Um, coming back right away, uh, luckily I was able to train, train is the wrong word, exercise through my pregnancy, all aerobic, but I felt great the whole time. And so when I first started running afterwards, it really just felt like I was, didn't weigh anything and I was really fast and everything was wonderful. Um, 
And my mom and I joked, your blood volume goes up. It doubles when you're pregnant. So we joked that I was legally EPO'd um, because you have tons of blood volume. Um, so that physical piece, um, I suppose in some ways it was easier than I expected. Um, the mental emotional piece is a change just because it's an incredible priority shift. So in some ways, anything else that you do outside of triathlon is, is going to bring mental and emotional stress to your training because none of us are that good at compartmentalizing probably. Um, but like getting, getting married, you don't feel bad about going for a long ride because I happen to marry someone whom I met through triathlon and who is totally over it now, but nonetheless excited that I'm doing it and can go ride his mountain bike or meet with friends or something like that. And with a kid, it's very different, especially early on. Not only do they literally need you to keep them alive, um, but you do feel really connected and you also the selfishness, like you need someone else to help you to get your workouts done. And so that, that sometimes means that when I'm starting workout, I sort of am feeling bad about it. Um, on the more positive side, I read an interview with Rachel Joyce and she just said that she felt motivated to make it worth it. Like if she's going to be away from her baby, she's going to make it worth it. And so in some ways, workouts have gotten a lot more efficient. They've gotten a lot more focused, um, which is awesome. And and I think that, you know, I'm not a huge feminist, but women do really, really kick butt things. And I think that motherhood is such an amazing way to, like, show your power as a woman. And that translates to triathlon for sure. Partly because some of the mental strategies I use in triathlon, I also use in the middle of the night when I'm trying to get my kid to go back to sleep and I'm exhausted. And for example, I want to just give in and feed him, but we're trying to teach him you don't need milk. Well, that's 40 minutes that you have to stay like mentally focused when all you want to do is rest. And I suppose that sort of translates into those same 40 minutes on the bike when you'd really like to drop your power, or you'd really like to sit up out of arrow or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, for me, the, the biggest change is just kind of that, that emotional or that priority shift in terms of how you spend your time and whom you rely on to help you do what you need to do. It's pretty clear that you're a very positive person. And, you know, in a lot of things you, you've talked about using some mental strategies and racing and things like that. And I, I bet that kind of carries through to strategies you use to stay positive. And even I know on your Facebook page, you were posting about like, who's going to be in Boulder cheering? Let me know so I can look for you. And I think for a lot of people, race time is sometimes terrifying time because they are afraid to let people know they're racing, you know, because they just are afraid of what could happen on the day. And you seem to take a very opposite approach and are just you know, very positive and confident. And that clearly has helped you in your previous performances, right? So do you have mental strategies for that? Is that just a part of who you have always been? What's the story with that? No, that's interesting. I've definitely always been a positive person, for sure. I think in high school, middle school, I had, you know, nicknames like happy, also spaz, which I think was a positive term, though. But um, yeah, I've just, 
life's always been really great. I did like grow up in Boulder. I have some very um, literal reasons to be really happy and positive. I've had an amazing life, but yes, I've always, that's been a way that people have described me forever. In terms of four races, I completely agree with people who are terrified to tell people when they race. And there is something, I've had quite a few races where I just, I just wanted to go out there and be by myself and do it. And, you know, maybe be abroad or something because there is pressure that comes with letting people know that you're doing something that's a little bit scary for yourself because whether or not it's true, you feel that you have their expectations added to your own. And um, I still sometimes battle with that a little bit. Sometimes if someone jokes like, and then you just run under three hours. I'm like, guys, if I go 315, I'll be really happy, right? Like just slow your expectations. And of course, they're just trying to be really supportive. Um, I think that some of the things that have really helped me get over that is having really terrible performances and keeping my friends, which again, it, it sounds really silly, but that's something we worry about. And I know a few years ago I went to Kansas 70.3 and the night before the race, I just got sick. I threw up a couple times. I had to stop in the bushes on my way to the race. It was just, but I raced cause I was there and it was not a good day. And who knew everyone that was my friend before was still my friend and everyone was proud that I was out there. And frankly, most people had no idea that it had gone poorly because other than your very closest triathlon friends, most people don't know what really is a good performance for you or not. And so having a couple experiences like that where it hasn't gone well and Again, surprise, people still liked me for who I was. Um, I think that's something that has made me a little bit um, better at letting people know when I'm going to be competing. And if I'm honest, I love seeing people out there. I think if nothing else, when you see a familiar face, it forces you to fake that you're doing well and run maybe with better form or smile or do a small wave and even just that sort of fake it till you make it for me, that kind of resets me a little bit. Um, if it's just 30 seconds that you get back in the mode, well, that's 30 seconds closer to the finish line. So um, Katie, I'm not sure if our listeners know this, but they might, but we actually raced against each other in high school in both swimming and cross country and track. You were a couple years older than me and I'm pretty sure beat me fairly regularly say, and you were uh, a couple minutes faster I, was older. I think maybe I had you on swimming and you had me on running okay. but um I do remember doing like a splash and dash like a swim run race at in Loveland and I remember you went so fast and it was like oh my gosh like you could put it together but your path to triathlon was a little bit different than mine and I think our listeners would be interested to hear about that and what you did um, you swam in college at Stanford, but what you did after college and then how you got back into triathlon and then also your path to deciding to go pro. Sure. Um, so yeah, after graduating Stanford, I made the super financial decision to join the Peace Corps. Before that, also a great financial decision. I spent the summer working at Disneyland for $7 an hour, which is 
far and away the best job I have ever had. And I still go all the time. Um, but Peace Corps was incredible. It was just an incredible growth experience. Um, really positive. I loved the place I was working. Like most of us, I probably got absolutely nothing done because you really learn in, um, you know, small grassroots development is slow work, but it was amazing. So I lived in Guatemala for about two and a half years in a small um, Maya Sutuil town. And um, while I was there, I was working as a teacher and an environmental educator doing compost piles and reforestation and a little bit of um, teacher training. And so I loved my time in the classroom there and had always wanted to be a teacher. So when I came back and went to grad school, um, and got my master's in education um, at Vanderbilt. And um, again, Tennessee potentially as much of a cultural shift um, from Boulder, Colorado that as Guatemala was. But like I said, most of my life, I loved that as well. And it was fun to actually get into the classroom. So I moved back to Colorado after that and um, got into teaching. And I guess Let's see. So then I was a teacher. Yay. And so triathlon factored into that, knowing that, as Haley said, growing up, I mean, you when you grow up in Boulder, you, particularly if you're a swimmer or a runner, and I did both, you just sort of have to do an Ironman at some point in your life. It's just, that's the way it's going to be. So um, my... One of my swim coaches was Nicole DeBoom, Tim DeBoom's wife, an Ironman champion in her own right. Um, Joanne Ertz coached our cross-country team. She is a Kona champion. Um, And so that was always in the back of my head that I would do it. So when I got to grad school, I decided I should do a marathon because I was out of shape. I weighed more than I did at the ninth month of my pregnancy at that point. And so that was a good little on and I was cross training one day doing a little swim and this is going to sound so mean to triathletes but I saw a lot of people who looked really fit but they weren't swimming very fast and I was like I bet that's my triathlon club and sure enough it was and so when I finished the marathon I joined them so I did my first triathlon um when I was in grad school my second year of grad school um got to complete compete in collegiate nationals. Um, and it was great. I think probably everyone here listening knows that wonderful people do triathlon and you kind of get people coming from such a varied background. And I just loved the community that I met there. And so when I moved back to Colorado, um, one of the very first things I did was research triathlon clubs. Luckily I found Rock Mountain Tri Club, which is an amazing group. Um, and just got started with them and I decided I guess it was the next year that I wanted to do an Ironman and Haley you were there as well my first Ironman was Ironman Louisville I think you got your Kona slot there was this okay was this 2010 or 2011 because Alyssa might have been there too were you there too Alyssa maybe yeah I think it was 20 oh uh no 2011 I had me start 2010 Okay, so it was a really hot year. Alyssa the was re- there. Oh, God, it was so hot. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> it was like, no, I got a cone. I did get a Kona slot there, and I ran like a, like, 
it was way over four hour marathon. Right. Like right. it was like carnage, like yes. people laying on the ground, people like everywhere. Every year I've was... done Louisville, it's been like 70 degrees and perfect. And so when no. they changed the date, I was like, I don't know why they changed the date of this one. Like it's always that, so nice there. Not Louisville my 2010. Yeah, it was the perfect first Ironman because, yeah, people were, it was the way NBC sets up Ironman to look, right? Like, there were literally people just tipping over on the run course, like cramping and just falling into the bushes. And so, same thing, Haley, I ran well over four hours and I was like, I'm really fast. And, and yeah, I mean... I didn't quite make my goal time, but I was super pleased. And I do remember turning into that finish shoot. It's an incredible finish line there. And just going, yes, 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 yes. Like, I made it. Um, so, yeah, I did that one. I had this tiny bike and 650 wheels because I feel like that was sort of the rage. And I bought it off someone pretty cheaply. And I finished that. And... At the time, this is sort of laughable now because we do so many fulls, but I was like, and I think this is good as an age grouper. I was like, you don't want to do an Ironman every year. I'll do another one in 2012. And so scale out that season, tore my ACL, had surgery, luckily recovered really quickly from that and did Coeur d'Alene in 2012 with the intention of qualifying for Kona. And I had hired Matt Smith, who is still my coach. Um, that fall, he is on RMTC and was getting into coaching and I got to be part of his like trial period, I think. Um, and, and he luckily really early on, he was like, I think you have a ton of potential. I think you could go pro, like, let's go for it. So did Coeur d'Alene with Alyssa. That's, I think where I met you, Alyssa is Coeur d'Alene 2012. Um, yeah, that was an awesome race full of really fun people. Um, and that, yeah, went really well, got my Kona slot, was thrilled. I didn't end up going to Kona. I got mono, which is a stupid disease that most people only get when they're like 14, but, um, but decided mostly to save money, um, that being a professional triathlete would be a good choice. And, for me, I never quit my job. So I was always, I guess people say like a part-time pro. Um, it That is a decision I made for a variety of reasons and sometimes totally questioned. But I did think that the purpose of being in triathlon, no matter where I was racing, was to get the best out of myself. And I felt that racing the fastest people out there was going to be the place that I could do that. Um, and particularly, it's different if you're 18 or 45, though with Dee Dee Griesbauer, people like that now, like 55. Um, if you're, I mean, she's not 55, but you have to be 55. <laughs> Sorry, Dee Dee. Um, you, if you're 30 and you're winning your age group, then there's a whole nother group of women your age that you can be racing. And so I was looking forward to that. Plus it saves you a lot of money. And that was kind of, I think a big key because it is a very expensive sport and, um, having done Peace Corps, Disneyland grad school, plus Stanford education, grad school, private school, Vanderbilt education. I didn't have very much money. 
Um, and so I really started not with the intention of making it, you know, pay my mortgage, but may, trying to make triathlon pay for itself, which I luckily have been able to do. And that's amazing. Um, and, and I do sometimes wish that I had maybe gone more all in partly because I think there's a little bit of a community piece that you miss when you're racing a little bit less, when you're not doing training camps, things like that. Um, but I have a wonderful community here in Denver and I've loved that first with teaching and now with a kid Training has always been a choice. And so when I'm on my bike, it's not that every single day I want to do my workouts. Some days you just don't want to get up, but it is always a choice. I'm not worried about needing to do this. And, and I like having that choice and I like having the balance that it brings that it can be, you know, refreshing, um, rather than stressing. So that's, that was sort of my, my path into racing pro and now it's been a long time that I've raced pro it went by fast though it's crazy how fast the years go by but thanks for sharing that I think we have some listeners who are probably sitting um you know wherever they listen and are wondering kind of you know the seed has been planted somewhere along the line of if they should be racing pro and when and how to do it so we really love having other stories on the podcast as well and also along the theme of our listeners. So Katie, we have a mailbag segment here where uh, listeners can write in with their questions. Okay. And so we saved this one for you and we're hoping you can help us with this. Oh, so no. okay. <laughs> this listener is Erin and she uh, moved to Seattle and, but she moved there from kind of like a quieter area. So okay. um, kind of now is in a city setting and doing training and all of that. So She's learning that there's limited lap swim times at city pools and that things can get quite crowded at the times that she's able to swim within her own schedule. So she's running into the repeated problem of having at least four people in a 25-yard lane and there's no order. The lanes are designated slow, medium, fast, and really fast, apparently. Um, but there I doesn't like it's seem really to be... fast. I like it. I <laughs> I wonder if that's actually shows up. Move over one. (laughs) But she she says there doesn't seem to be too much of a difference between the fast and the really fast. But anyways, so she's wondering um, tips on how to deal with a crowd when you're trying to do your workout, right? Because every triathlete shows up for their work, you know. And so everyone's doing their own thing and it's that chaos that we all know. And then people are jumping in, people are sitting on the wall for extended breaks. And yeah. she's just curious what the proper etiquette is. So oh. great question. I actually I love, love this question. Okay. This is a hard question. So I hope that both of you guys will jump in if you have tips as well. I think I've whined about this on Facebook a while back. I posted about a person who felt like side stroke qualified him for the fast lane. And I was so frustrated. So Aaron, I, if nothing else, I can commiserate with you, even if I can't solve your mailbag question. Um, so I guess a couple tips. It, it sounds like her schedule is a little bit tight, but I think this is sort of silly, but if you can be consistent and people start knowing that you are a, um, 
that you're the person who's going to be there with their head down swimming every day in this same fast or really fast lane, um, people, not surprisingly, start to know. And um, I I don't want to recommend that you're rude, but I do think that when you're swimming, there is obviously the etiquette of circle swimming, come down the right. But the actual etiquette is that the swimmer has the right of way and a faster swimmer also has the right of way. So when you come into the walls, um, do your flip turn or your touch turn. You don't need to stop and say hello to everyone. Um, I think get in your workout is just fine. Um, and I apologize. My husband is trying to call through 16 times in a row. Um, okay, not quite that many. Sorry, Aaron. Sorry, podcasters. Um, but I do think that that sometimes if you're just a little bit brave and you keep your head down, you're flipping at that wall when you get there, um, people will learn and you are correct in having that right of way. I also think, um, ooh, this is a little bit tricky, but um, Haley, maybe you can appreciate this. As a swimmer, I feel like I start to see what other people are doing and you know, like, oh, that person is stopping every 100. This person is stopping every 150. So if you're that type, Erin, that can kind of uh, glean more or less what the people around you are doing, I think it's fine to tweak your workouts. Just like in running, if you're supposed to be doing 10 by three minutes and instead you're doing seven by four, it doesn't really matter. If you're supposed to be doing some hundreds at a certain pace and it's better for you to do two hundreds or you want to get in one long interval while no one's there and then some shorter fifties later, I think that playing around a little bit with your workout, depending on how crowded your lane is at a specific time, you get a chance where there aren't a bunch of people around to push it, do some tempo work. Great bunch of people come in great that's a time to stop do a couple sprints where you're stopping on the wall until the space is clear um so that you can kind of get in the pieces of your workout even if they're not in the maybe exactly prescribed order um i have kicked someone in the face though on a flip turn so maybe you shouldn't listen to me and then told him that he should have moved out of the way it was bad don't do that aaron Maybe don't take my advice on second thought. I really like some of your advice. I love the consistency because that is something I've had to do myself. And it is even this morning. I'm like, the, I try to be one of the first people in the pool because yes. then I get like in the lane and I kind of establish like this is my rhythm. And um, and then I think the the idea of you aren't you don't have to perfect, like you can get the theme of your workout. And I have had that before where sometimes you might have to take a little bit more rest on something just so that you can get your fast 50 in without traffic. So, and I do think it's also, we do triathlon. Like we aren't, we aren't Katie Ledecky. We're not racing in a pool. So our conditions on race day aren't perfect. So sometimes if you have to pass someone, you have to pass someone, but you're going to might have to do that on race day too. So it's good to practice that. Alyssa, Jason thoughts. I mastered, I like felt so cool when I mastered passing people in the lane. And I think it really was helpful for me to be able to execute that because it it is, like you said, kind of, it's an open water skill too. And so, you know, once you kind of do that and you just treat it as just like this moving entity, right? And then, and you're just kind of, you know, you're being courteous and like whatever, but you're allowed to pass in the middle if it's safe as far as I'm concerned. So 
Um, I 100% you know, agree, Alyssa. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it is, it is quote, a workout. It's just, you know, a few more seconds here and there really aren't going to make or break anything there. Um, but I couldn't agree more either with the consistency factor. Because once you're the woman who's in the lane every morning, people will work around yeah. you instead yeah. of you having to work around them. Or if you're there every day at 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. or whatever it is, try and establish that and see if it changes. Um, yep. And it also gets you in the pool more, which, you know, who yep. doesn't need more pool time? So. And maybe you'll make good friends, it turns out, with the people. I've met some of my best friends in the pool just sort of randomly swimming. Because they were Me too. always there at the same time I was. I have too. It's a crazy how many people I've met at the pool. I think that's like the only place I really meet people is at the <laughs> pool. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> These days anyway. But um, yeah. no, awesome answer. Thank you, Katie. Well, you're welcome. Um, and then I do, since we are on this swimming theme, um, I have to ask because you are a Stanford swimmer and Stanford swimming is on fire right now with, I mean, no, Katie Ledecky just finished her eligibility, but you guys are in an incredible spot. And we asked Dee Dee Griesbauer about this a couple of months ago when we, when we had her on, um, if you still follow Stanford swimming, if you're excited about that and also are the coaches at Stanford aware of this showdown happening this week, happening this weekend between you and Dee Dee? <laughs> Maybe we should contact them. If nothing else, we should contact Richard Quick, who coached both Dee Dee and me. Um, we should contact his wife and let her know because she would be excited to hear that. But no, I'll have to post on the alumni Facebook page. A while back, Dee Dee and I have only raced each other. Well, we raced in Coeur d'Alene. Again, Alyssa was there. I've seen Alyssa a lot. Um, but Alyssa Dee does like 100 Ironmans a year. When is she yeah, not it's there? True, of course. I know. Everybody has Alyssa there. She's um, an extra race. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Dee Dee crashed in Coeur d'Alene. So it's been since like Lake Placid, maybe four or five years ago. But I remember posting on the alumni page that like two Stanford swimmers are here. So maybe I'll have to um, get back on there and yeah, start a battle. People can pick sides. I think really everyone, we're all just kind of on the same side. And yes, I'm very fired up that Stanford is amazing at swimming. I'm a big Stanford fan. I I was obsessed with Stanford growing up and then went there and it was like a hundred times better than I even imagined. And so anytime we have little moments where I kind of, the rest of the world gets to see that Stanford is amazing. And um, I I love that. And so their swim team is definitely doing that right now. Though also tennis, who was seated 15th and just won the national championship as well. I know. Um, Haley, speaking of showdowns, I feel like you used to post a lot about NCAAs and some battles. And I haven't seen anything in the last couple of years between you and your coach. I'm wondering oh. if that could come out again. I know. I am getting called out here. Um, yes. In case my, our listeners aren't aware, my coach, Matthew Rose, he did actually – um, his sister swam at Stanford, and I think he was a grad assistant there. So he's a big fan of Stanford swimming. And every year we used to have this little um, – we used to make bets on who would win NCAAs, Georgia or Stanford. And every year we did it, Georgia won. And then this year – well, last year we had a Georgia-Notre Dame kind of showdown for football, and Georgia won that. 
And he oh. never, he never paid me for that. He was supposed uh. to post pictures wearing a Georgia shirt. So then when this year, when NCAAs came around and he was like, are you going to bet on Georgia? I said, I won't, I'm, I'm not, cause I knew I was going to lose in case anyone was <laughs> listening. Stanford won by like, it was like record oh, wow. win this year. They yeah. won by so much. Georgia had no chance. I don't even know. Georgia had a, a rough year. <laughs> had, a rough had a few year. rough years in there as well, but yeah. they're, they're both really storied programs. Um, and yeah, I'm like a very proud. I feel like we, if we can get you in on this bet as well, I'll, I'll rekindle it and maybe I'll okay. just like cross my fingers for some DQs or something. I'm just <laughs> For DQ. But um, no, I'm kidding. I love seeing Stanford do so well. And I, I did lose the bet last year and I had to swim a workout and wearing a Stanford swim cap. So oh, oh, good. there so are pictures of that, that online. Yes. Okay. Oh, I don't know if I put it on Facebook because I, uh, I probably, <laughs> your realm, <laughs> I'm like hidden on some, like my secret Instagram account, my private Facebook. <laughs> but, um, no, those are really fun. And I, I am in awe of the Stanford summers recently and I'm in awe of you and Dee. So I'll be cheering for both of you. I think it's kind of cool. It could be like a little Stanford one too. Maybe I don't know. Oh, just throwing it I, out there. I certainly wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Katie, thanks for taking time during your race week. I know it's such a busy time, you know, getting everything, but um, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us and we're excited to watch you race this weekend. And we know it's kind of a hometown thing. You have plenty of people, but now you'll have the Iron Women listeners out behind you too. So that's great. That would be amazing. I would love it. So yeah, any smiles we can get always help. It's a long day out there, but it's an awesome day usually. So thanks girls. It was nice to talk to you. Well, Haley, we did some investigative work, right? And so you have Katie's race number for the people who are going to be in Boulder looking for her and cheering for her. Yes. If you are in Boulder, look for number 38. That's Katie Blakemore Evans. And you want to be sure to cheer for her. She obviously appreciates all the cheers. So, um, I think, you know, she's one worth cheering for. And then if you do want to follow her adventures, on Facebook. She's as Katie Blakemore Evans. She posts some, you know, lots of pictures and some really funny stories. She has a great sense of humor. If you couldn't tell from the interview. Well, that's all we have for this week. So if our listeners have any questions that you want Haley and I to answer, please send them into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. Why I like biking? You're really moving your feet and it's fun because you can actually steer where you're going when you want to. Whereas in swimming and running, you might have to plan ahead because in both of those things, either in swimming, you can run out of breath or in running, you could trip and fall. The Iron Woman Podcast is produced by Liv Feisty Media. Our awesome hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Our editor is Aaron Hamilton. Our social media queen is Danielle Adino. And our producer is my mom, Sarah Gross. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes. And have a great week of swimming, biking, and running. Bye for now. Bye.